My message is directed specifically to individuals who are not members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I will address a fundamental question many of you may have. Why are Latter-day Saints so eager to tell me about what they believe and to invite me to learn about their Church? I pray the Spirit of the Lord will help me to communicate effectively and you to understand clearly my response to this important question. Devoted disciples of Jesus Christ always have been and always will be valiant missionaries. A missionary is a follower of Christ who testifies of Him as the Redeemer and proclaims the truths of His gospel. The Church of Jesus Christ always has been and always will be a missionary church. The individual members of the Savior's Church have accepted the solemn obligation to assist in fulfilling the divine commission given by the Lord to His apostles, as recorded in the New Testament. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you alway, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Latter-day Saints take seriously this responsibility to teach all people in all nations about the Lord Jesus Christ and His restored gospel. We believe the same Church founded by the Savior anciently has been reestablished on the earth by Him in the latter days. The doctrine, principles, priesthood, authority, ordinances, and covenants of His gospel are found today in His Church. When we invite you to attend church with us or to learn with the full-time missionaries, we are not trying to sell you a product. As members of the Church, we do not receive prizes or bonus points in a heavenly contest. <laughs> we are not seeking simply to increase the numerical, numerical size of the Church. And most importantly, we are not attempting to coerce you to believe as we do. We are inviting you to hear the restored truths of the gospel of Jesus Christ so you can study, ponder, pray, and come to know for yourself if the things we are sharing with you are true. Some of you may respond, but I already believe in Jesus and follow His teachings, or I am not sure if God really exists. Our invitations to you are not an attempt to diminish your religious tradition or life experience. Bring all that you know is true, good, and praiseworthy, and test our message. Just as Jesus beckoned two of His disciples to come and see, so we urge you to come and see if the restored gospel of Jesus Christ enlarges and enriches that which you already believe to be true. Indeed, we feel a solemn responsibility to carry this message to every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. And that is precisely what we are doing with a force today of more than 88,000 full-time missionaries laboring in over 150 sovereign states around the world. These remarkable men and women help the members of our Church 
fulfill the divinely appointed and individual responsibility each of us has to proclaim the everlasting gospel of Jesus Christ. But our eagerness to declare this message is not merely the result of a sense of spiritual duty. Rather, our desire to share the restored gospel of Jesus Christ with you is a reflection of how important these truths are to us. I believe I can best describe why we are so forthright in seeking to explain our beliefs to you through an experience my wife and I had many years ago with two of our sons. One evening, Susan and I stood near a window in our home and watched two of our little boys playing outside. During the course of their adventures, the younger of the two boys was injured slightly in a small accident. We quickly recognized that he was not seriously hurt, and we decided not to provide immediate assistance. We wanted to observe and see if any of our family discussions about brotherly kindness had sunk in. <laughs> what happened next was both interesting and instructive. The older brother consoled and carefully helped the younger brother back into the house. By this time, Susan and I had positioned ourselves near the kitchen so we could see what next took place, and we were prepared to intervene immediately if additional bodily harm seemed likely <laughs> or if a serious additional accident was imminent. The older brother dragged a chair to the kitchen sink. He climbed up on the chair, assisted his brother onto the chair, turned on the water, and proceeded to pour a very large quantity of dishwashing soap onto the scratched arm of his little brother. He did his best to gently wash away the dirt. The reaction of the little brother to this procedure can only be described accurately using language from the Holy Scriptures. And they shall have cause to howl. and weep and wail and gnash their teeth. <laughs> and, oh, brothers and sisters, did that little boy howl. After the scrubbing was finished, the arm was carefully dried with a towel. Eventually, the screaming stopped. The older brother next climbed up onto the kitchen counter, opened a cabinet, and found a new tube of medicated ointment. Though the scratches on his little brother were not large or extensive, the older brother applied almost all of the ointment in the tube <laughs> to the entire injured arm. The screaming did not resume, as the little brother clearly liked the soothing effect of the ointment much more than he appreciated the cleansing effect of the dishwashing soap. The older brother returned again to the cabinet in which he had found the ointment and located a new box of sterile bandages. He then unwrapped and put bandages all up and down his brother's arm, from the wrist to the elbow. With the emergency resolved and with ointment and wrappers and soap bubbles all over the kitchen, the two little boys hopped down from the chair with bright smiles and happy faces. Now, what happened next is most important. The injured brother gathered up the remaining bandages, the almost empty tube of ointment, 
and he went back outside. He quickly sought out his friends and began to put ointment and bandages on their arms. Susan and I were struck by the sincerity, the enthusiasm, and the rapidity of his response. Why did that little boy do what he did? Please note that he immediately and intuitively wanted to give to his friends the very thing that had helped him when he was hurt. That little boy did not have to be urged, challenged, prompted, goaded to act. His desire to share was the natural consequence of a most helpful and beneficial personal experience. Many of us as adults behave in precisely the same way. When we find a treatment or medication that alleviates pain with which we have long suffered, or we receive counsel that enables us to face challenges with courage and perplexities with patience. Sharing with other people things that are most meaningful to us or have helped us is not unusual at all. This same pattern is especially evident in matters of great spiritual importance and consequence. For example, an account in a volume of scripture known as the Book of Mormon highlights a dream received by an ancient prophet leader named Lehi. The central feature in Lehi's dream is the Tree of Life, which is a representation of the love of God that is most desirable above all things and most joyous to the soul. Lehi explained, And it came to pass that I did go forth and partake of the fruit thereof, and I beheld that it was most sweet above all that I ever before tasted. Yea, and I beheld that the fruit thereof was white, to exceed all the whiteness that I had ever seen. And as I partook of the fruit thereof, it filled my soul with exceedingly great joy. Wherefore, I began to be desirous that my family should partake of it also. The greatest manifestation of God's love for His children is the mortal ministry, atoning sacrifice, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. The fruit on the tree can be considered a symbol for the blessings of the Savior's atonement. Lehi's instant response to partaking of the fruit of the tree and experiencing great joy was an increased desire to share with and serve his family. Thus, as he turned to Christ, he also turned outward in love and service. Another important episode in the Book of Mormon describes what happened to a man named Enos after his earnest and pleading prayer was heard and answered by God. He said, And my soul hungered, and I kneeled down before my Maker, and I cried unto him in mighty prayer and supplication for mine own soul. And all the day long did I cry unto him, yea, and when the night came, I did still raise my voice high, that it reached the heavens. And there came a voice unto me, saying, Enos, thy sins are forgiven thee, and thou shalt be blessed. And I, Enos, knew that God could not lie, wherefore my guilt was swept away. And I said, Lord, how is it done? And he said unto me, Because of thy faith in Christ, whom thou hast never before heard nor seen, wherefore go to thy faith hath made thee whole. 
Now it came to pass that when I had heard these words, I began to feel a desire for the welfare of my brethren, the Nephites. Wherefore, I did pour out my whole soul unto God for them. As Enos turned to the Lord with full purpose of heart, his concern for the welfare of his family, friends, and associates increased simultaneously. The enduring lesson we learn from these two episodes is the importance of experiencing in our personal lives the blessings of the Atonement of Jesus Christ as a prerequisite to heartfelt and authentic service that stretches far beyond merely going through the motions. Much like Lehi, Enos, and our little boy in the story I recounted, we as members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints have felt the anguish associated with spiritual uncertainty and sin. We also have experienced the cleansing, the peace of conscience, the spiritual healing and renewal, and the guidance that are obtained only by learning and living the principles of the Savior's gospel. The Atonement of Jesus Christ provides the cleanser necessary to be made pure and clean, the soothing salve to heal spiritual wounds and remove guilt, and the protection that enables us to be faithful in times both good and bad. To you family members and friends who are not members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, I have attempted to explain fundamental reasons why we are missionaries. Absolute truth exists in a world that increasingly disdains and dismisses absolutes. In a future day, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus the Christ absolutely is the only begotten Son of the Eternal Father. As members of His Church, we witness He lives and that His Church has been restored in its fullness in these latter days. The invitations we extend to you to learn about and test our message grow out of the positive effects the gospel of Jesus Christ has had in our lives. Sometimes we may be awkward or abrupt or even relentless in our attempts. Our simple desire is to share with you the truths that are of greatest worth to us. As one of the Lord's apostles, and with all of the energy of my soul, I bear witness of His divinity and reality, and I invite you to come and see. In the sacred name of the Lord Jesus Christ, amen. amen. So this man, David Alexander, after 47 years as an evangelical Christian and former pastor, and believing his whole life that the Mormon church is a cult, was baptized two weeks ago. And he's now sharing one of the most powerful testimonies I've ever heard. Listen to this. In the culture of non-Latter-day Saint Christianity, the Latter-day Saints are continually slandered. It's like, oh, they have the wrong Jesus. They're not real Christians. They're nice, but they're a cult. I basically spent 47 years searching through evangelical Christianity trying to find 
a church where there was an authority and a life that in some way, shape or form measured up to what I saw in the scriptures and just failing over and over and over again to find that. But I, I couldn't give up. All right. So I kept looking and kept looking. I took an honest look at everything on earth that I could find and couldn't find it. But because of this fog, and I think in, in the Book of Mormon, it calls it mist of darkness. Mm -hmm. But I, I call it an accusatory fog that the evil one, he surrounds the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints with and injects people with, they're vaccinated against taking the Latter-day Saints seriously. And, and that's where I was at for almost half a century. I was inoculated against even entertaining the wild thought that it might have anything to do with the Latter-day Saints. But I'd gotten to a place where I'm like, you know, and this was three months ago, I think I need to take a look at the Latter-day Saints. And to even say that to myself was like <laughs> almost impossible. So on December 23rd, I did a search for the local uh, Latter-day Saint church and I called the number, these two sister missionaries answered. And I said, I really need to find out what you people believe. After about two weeks, you know, we got into a lot of this stuff about polygamy and things like that. And I just, I was just like, I just can't deal with this. This is just too much. And I, I said, I, I don't want to meet with you anymore. But my heart was so green and I knew I was resisting the Holy Ghost. I was intellectually not letting myself hear. And uh, so I called him back and said, look, I want to keep meeting. I know I'm being drawn by the Holy Spirit. I'm going to stop resisting. So I was like, I'm checking them out, but I'm checking them out with deep skepticism and looking for flaws, looking for an excuse to write them off like I've been doing for half a century. And I was like, that that's not going to work. I have to just surrender to this and say, Father, you're drawing me. I'm just going to let myself be drawn and see what happens. And then all of a sudden, all these things from my 47 years of studying the word of God, that things that I, I didn't understand or troubled me or just all these pennies started dropping and started falling into place in my heart and soul and my understanding of the word and will of God. It just blew my mind. I mean, for the last two months, I've just been just overjoyed that actually what I've been uh, Refusing to look at for half a century is actually the restoration of the Church of Jesus Christ in the last days with the restoration of true apostolic and prophetic authority, genuine leadership. A, a huge part of what won me was watching the conference talks and listening to your leaders. The leaders of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints are the most amazing men I have ever had the pleasure of seeing and listening to. And our life. Nobody is even close. The, the quality of their communication, the obvious quality of their character, their humility, their clarity, the fruit of their lives. Like if you actually read what President Nelson has packed into the 98 years of his life, if I, if I could have borne five percent of the fruit that man's born, I'd be overjoyed. You know. <laughs> I listen to them constantly. I've probably listened to uh, Overcome the World 30 times in the last month. And uh, so anyway, two months ago, all of this, I, I just, faith just came to me and just kept coming to me. And I started reading the Book of Mormon probably 20 times. Latter-day Saints, usually missionaries, had said, you know, why don't you just read the Book of Mormon and pray about it? And I was like, just get away from me. <laughs> you know. <laughs> so finally, I read the Book of Mormon. I, I didn't even get to the last chapter of Moroni where he says, pray about it. I mean, I'm, I'm like, I'm reading the whole thing and I'm like, this is so helpful. This is incredible. This is so clear. This is so simple. This is amazing. It's just nuts. It's absolutely nuts. 
I surrendered to being drawn and all of a sudden just I guess you call it personal revelation it's like all these bombs are going off in my heart from 47 years of, oh that make now that makes sense I understand this I under, this is incredible the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints actually is the only true church it is that's right more times than I can count I heard slander spoken against like it was absolute gospel truth and impossible to refute. But the truth is, is that you're believing that the most beautiful thing on earth is a cult and that only a fool would believe otherwise. And that's why, that's why it took me till I'm 68 years old, man, to even take the Ark of God, you know, the Holy City, the Church of Jesus Christ restored on the earth with true apostles and prophets, the most beautiful men to follow on the whole planet, to even look at them and give them a listen. It took me 47 yeah. years. I spent 47 years trying to find what was right there in front of me, man. President Nelson promised us that we would see the greatest manifestations of the Savior's power that the world has ever seen. He will bestow countless privileges, blessings, and miracles upon the faithful. This man, finding the restored gospel truths that he's been seeking for 47 years, is one of those miracles. And there are millions of people out there just like David, honest seekers of truth, who are only kept from the truth because they know not where to find it. Lost in the accusatory fog, as David puts it. Not even thinking to give Latter-day Saints a serious thought. But we know where to find it. We are enjoying the fruits of it. The question is, are we sharing it?